Hello, church family. Um, as Liam said, if, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Ray, and I'm a member here along with my wife, Lauren. And uh, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm not from these parts. I'm from Arkansas, from the southern part of the United States. Um, but it's been such a joy to be a part of this church for the last 10 months, and we're really grateful for your hospitality towards us. And I'm honored to speak to you tonight from God's Word as we look at Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, which Liam just read for us a moment ago. So I invite you to turn there now in your Bibles or switch on your phone and pull it up there and follow along with me. You know, if there's one thing that Lauren and I struggle to agree on, it is TV shows. But for some reason, we're always able to find a compromise in British TV shows. You guys just really know how to make them here for some reason. Um, and one that Lauren particularly likes is Call the Midwife. And it's a show based on the lives of midwives in East London in the 1950s and 60s. And I think one thing that makes this show so appealing to so many people is how it really draws out the wonder of a new life being born, a new life coming into existence. You know, it's a wondrous thing when a baby is born. You know, this, this little human life that had been growing in its mother's womb for nine months is now coming out into the world and we're able to hold him or her. And I've known some of the toughest, you know, most macho men in the world who before, you know, didn't really know what was, what's a big deal with babies until they held their own for the first time. And they were speechless. <laughs> I mean, they couldn't take their eyes, you know, off this new little life. It's a, it's a wondrous thing. Well, the wonder of a new life, of a new birth, is something that Jesus takes up in a way in John chapter 3 to describe what it's like when a person receives eternal life with God. You know, when you, when you hear a Christian talk about how they were saved, or if you're from Arkansas, we add about three or four syllables, saved, you know, we, we throw that language around a lot, but well, what does that mean? What is this event that Christians call conversion? Well, it's, it's not something that missionaries do to other people or that any person can do to themselves. What Jesus says instead is that in order to receive eternal life with God, you must be born again. What we're going to learn this evening from this, patches, from this passage is that salvation is caused by a supernatural new birth, and it's only in Jesus. So what I want to do this evening is take time to, to listen to the greatest evangelist of all time, Jesus Christ, and look at three aspects of this new birth that he talks about. And even though I know this is probably a familiar passage to many of you, um, for, for you believers, for my brothers and sisters, I, I hope that you will find assurance in your salvation and hopefully uh, instruction in your evangelism. And maybe if you're here this evening or you're listening to us on the live stream and you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure if you are, I think you also will find some helpful uh, instruction and some incredible truths in this. So the first aspect, notice the first aspect of the new birth that Jesus shows us is that the new birth is necessary. 
The new birth is necessary. Look at verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. So we see that Nicodemus is kind of a big deal in the eyes of the Jewish public, right? And he's a, uh, one of the elite religious teachers. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council, also known as the Sanhedrin. And he was a member of the Pharisees, you know, revered for being the strictest keepers of the Jewish law. And we see that he comes to Jesus at night. And so this figure who comes to Jesus is one of those figures that people would have seen and said, if anybody knows the scriptures, if anybody knows how to be right with God, surely it would be this Nicodemus. And he comes to Jesus at night, notice, at night, possibly to avoid being seen in public with this controversial Jesus or perhaps simply just to have an uninterrupted conversation with Jesus apart from the crowds that always followed him. And look at verse 2. He, he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus gives a, a somewhat positive response to Jesus as a good teacher and because of the signs Jesus was doing. Well, what are these signs? Well, if you look back just a few verses before this in chapter 2, verse 23, at the very end there, it says that many people saw the signs he was performing. These signs were actions that Jesus performed which demonstrated his identity as the Messiah, that rescuer that the Old Testament prophets had spoken about. The first sign that we are told is when Jesus changed water into wine in, the, in chapter 2 of, of uh, the Gospel of John here. We also see signs of giving sight to the blind and even raising a man from the dead. So these signs were meant to help people see Jesus' true identity as the Savior. But notice it says in chapter 2, verse 23, people saw his signs and believed in his name, but... Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So many believed, but Jesus knew that they must not be genuinely believing in him. There was something missing, something that was necessary for someone to truly believe and receive Jesus. You see, chapter 2 ends by saying he knew what was in each person. Or another, other translations say what was in a man. And look at the very first verse of chapter 3, the very next verse. Now there was a man, Nicodemus. So John, the author here, he's presenting a, a case study here of one person, a, a very religiously elite person, who was responding to Jesus in a way, but there was something missing, something necessary, essential that was missing. So look at verse 3. What does Jesus say to him? Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So you see in his response, Jesus is revealing the real issue here. He goes beyond Nicodemus' positive affirmation and gets to 
the deeper issue that Nicodemus and all who are seeing Jesus' signs need to understand. He says, you must be born again. Another way of translating that, you might notice a little footnote in your Bible. It says, born from above. And it's intentionally ambiguous there. Born again. Born from above. And he says, if you want to see the kingdom of God. And he also says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God was very important to any devout Jew like Nicodemus. In Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet talks about the, this eternal kingdom that in the last days the promised Messiah would come and establish justice and righteousness in the earth forever and God's people would be citizens in that kingdom. So you want to be in that kingdom at the end, right? Well, John, the author, also likes to talk, instead of talking about the kingdom of God, a lot of times he uses the phrase eternal life, which is probably what we would probably use in normal conversation eternal life and Jesus said in his prayer in John 17 this is eternal life that they know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent so knowing God is part of eternal life to enter the kingdom of God is to enter eternal life experienced today in right relationship with God and at the end So this is what Jesus says. To enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. So it's not what a person, what is most important for a person is not knowledge, social status, or even a positive affinity for Jesus. What is necessary is a new creation. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.15, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. See, friends, this is how I would sum it up for you. Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, we know. And Jesus is saying to him, actually, you don't know. But what about us, Charlotte Chapel? For those of you who are believers in Jesus, you have experienced this new birth he's talking about. Well, this, this text is showing us that for our friends who, who are not believers in Jesus, maybe they're your friend at work, maybe they're your husband or wife, maybe they're your children, your elderly parents, even if they are the nicest, most moral people that we know, they must be born again, Jesus says even if they're friendly towards your Christian faith, friendly towards talking about Jesus even, that positive attitude towards religious things is not what is necessary. They must be born again. You know, I can tell you, Lauren and I lived in South Asia for a number of years. And friends, I can tell you that most of our Hindu and Muslim friends are far more uh, positively inclined towards Jesus even have more biblically aligned moral convictions than our secular friends in America and Scotland have. But is that what is necessary? No. They must be born again. We can't forget what is most important for our neighbor's eternal well-being. If we truly love our neighbor, we will not gloss over 
what is most important for them. And you know, but for others of you, I have a question for you. Has Jesus ever encountered you this way? Have you ever thought, hey, Jesus, I know. I I know you. And Jesus, through the Bible and the Spirit of God, says to you, actually, you don't know. You're missing the most important thing. You see, it's easy to view the Christian life in a superficial way. It's easy to think that a Christian is just someone who uh, goes to church on Sunday or wears Christian jewelry or because they said a certain prayer when they were nine or because they were sprinkled with water as an infant that this means that they are a Christian. Or you may even be thinking, well, Ray, I I get it. I I want to have eternal life. I want to follow Jesus, but I just need to clean up my life before I can do that. Well, my friend, I would say to you, it's not that your standard, that your view of God's standard is too big. It's actually that it's too small. You need way more than a cleaned up behavior to be right with God. You need a new creation. So what do we do? What do we do? How how do we make sense of this thing called the new birth? All Jesus has said so far is that it's necessary. Well, we need to keep reading to see what Jesus says. but, But let me just state this for now. What we learn, brothers and sisters, from this is that salvation always entails a transformation. Salvation always entails a transformation in a person. So let's not settle for a superficial vision of conversion and becoming a believer. It is not superficial. It's supernatural. It's a wondrous thing like a newborn baby. You know, in Ephesians 2, what Liam read at the latter half of it for us, in the beginning of it, you know, it talks about for those of us who are in Christ now, when we think back on our state before we knew Christ, it says that we were spiritually dead because of our rebellion against God, living life the way we wanted to. But then do you remember what it says in verse 4? The greatest conjunction in the whole Bible. But... God. But God. We were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. See, that's, that's the second aspect that we learn from Jesus tonight about the new birth. The new birth is God's work. The new birth is God's work. If the new birth One is necessary, Jesus says, and now he's going to show the new birth is God's work. Look with me at verse 4. Nicodemus, you know, he's confused by Jesus' words, and he says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus is, he's thinking about physical human birth, and he's telling Jesus, Jesus, that's that's impossible. But in verses 5 through 8, we see Jesus explain the nature of this new birth he's talking about, what it is. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So friends, to be born again is to be born of water 
and the Spirit. Some people see water here as possibly referring to baptism, but I think it's best to read it in accordance with Old Testament teaching. And especially in Ezekiel chapter 36, we see this really clearly. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, it says I will, that when the Lord is, is speaking to Israel, promising to save them from exile and atone for their sin, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and for all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is what it means to be born again. To be born of water and the Spirit is a simultaneous event. When God comes in and cleanses us of the filth of our wrongdoing, our rebellion against God, He removes the hard heart of stone which resists God's will, and He gives us a new heart that desires the things of God. In Titus chapter 3, the Apostle Paul calls this the washing of rebirth. God does this by giving us the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That is where new life comes from, the Spirit of God. This is what we call spiritual regeneration. There's a big theological term you can throw out at a, you know, the next time you have company over, sound really smart, spiritual regeneration, you know, confuse everybody probably, but that's what we call it, spiritual regeneration. To be born again is to be made alive by the Holy Spirit. This is why, look at verse 7, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Nicodemus would have been familiar with Ezekiel and other Old Testament passages that talk about God's regenerating work. Yet Nicodemus is surprised. He's, he's taken back by Jesus' words and can't get past this idea of physical birth. But Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh. This is not a, a physical action that uh, people can do to our, we can do to ourselves. He's not talking about being born into the kingdom of God like ethnic Israel. You might have been born into a church-going family. But we are not born into the kingdom of God. I'm saying that to my own children. We are not born into the kingdom of God. We are born again into the kingdom of God. Born from above. That's why Jesus says it's like the wind. You can't control it. It's out of your control. It's God's work. God's work in us. You know, it says one of my former pastors used to give this little illustration of it. He says, you know, a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll look at a Christian and say, oh, you know, you Christians, you just use God as a crutch, you know, to help you get through life. But I respond, you, you don't know the half of it. God is not a crutch. He's the stretcher who carries me to life. I mean, I was dead in the ambulance. I didn't need a little medicine or a wheelchair or a little bit, you know, of a better diet. I needed 
blood in my veins, air in my lungs. I needed life. That is what the Holy Spirit does in the new birth. So friends, the the only way we can apply this really is it leads us to pray. To pray. To recognize for that person that you love that you, you desperately want them to know the Lord. You want them to come to Jesus. But we have to know ultimately, even though God sends human instruments, sends us to share the good news, we can't trust in ultimately our charismatic personality or our persuasiveness or reason. Those things can be helpful, but it is God who saves. God who saves. So let this draw you to pray, to pray for transformation. So we see that the new birth is necessary. We see that the new birth is God's work. But Nicodemus still does not understand. Look at verse 9. He says, how can this be? He's saying, Jesus, how, how is this possible? My friends, listen, listen. This is, this is the heart of the message. This is the heart of the passage right here. We're going to see that Jesus shows that the new birth is possible. That's the third aspect. The new birth is possible because of Jesus. And only in Jesus. You know, we should notice Nicodemus, his inability to understand this, surely it's not due to being unintelligent or unable to think logically, right? I mean, remember, he's one of the most elite of and qualified of all religious teachers. And Jesus even points this out. Look at verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? How is it that even you Don't understand this new birth. And friends, he's going to show the answer is because Nicodemus has not received Jesus. He's not received Jesus' testimony. He says in verse 11, Jesus says, We speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people, meaning Nicodemus and the Pharisees, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things. Perhaps how you know, to begin this new life that God promises, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You know, he's possibly talking about just deeper truths about the kingdom of God. You see, friends, the reason why even this teacher of Israel and his Pharisee party cannot receive the new birth is because they have rejected the only one who can truly give it. He says, no one has entered, has gone into heaven except the one who came down from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself there. His favorite title there, the Son of Man. The Son of Man, only he is the true teacher of Israel. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You might remember two weeks ago when one of our elders, Colin, he walked us through this passage that Jesus is referring to here in Numbers 21. How God provided the people of Israel the way of rescue. 
the way to life when they were bitten by venomous snakes in the wilderness. And it was by looking to, entrusting themselves to the object which God had provided. That's how they were saved from death. A former pastor here at Charlotte Chapel, Alistair Begg, he describes it this way. You know, it wasn't, they weren't, the Israelites were not healed, uh, were not rescued from death by being in proximity to that pole. (laughs) It wasn't by being aware of its existence. It wasn't even by being in favor of the idea of a bronze serpent on a pole. It was only when they entrusted themselves to God's means of salvation by looking to it as their only hope of rescue. That is how they were saved. And friends, it's the same way with Jesus Christ. Lifted up. Jesus is lifted up on the cross, bearing the wrath of God against our sin that we deserve. He absorbed it, lifted up on the cross. He's also lifted up to the highest seat of authority in the heavenly places as the exalted king over all creation. He is lifted up. I'm sure you can quote the next verse with me, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is how God loved the world. He sent the one, the only one, who makes the new birth possible. You know, in John, the beginning of John, chapter 1, 12 to 13, he says, Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. See, the problem with Nicodemus and the Pharisees, they were not looking to Jesus. In the very next chapter, we see John in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, you remember? A very striking contrast, actually. One who did receive Jesus' testimony. This an enemy of the, of the Jews and an outcast in her own community, but yet she received Jesus' testimony and was changed because of it. You see, friends, what about for us today? It's not just a problem that the Pharisees had. It's a problem that all of humanity has. We don't want to look to Jesus. Come on, Ray, you just told us earlier that we need a bigger view of what it takes to enter the kingdom of God and, you know, like a new creation. And now you're telling me that all it is necessary is to look? Yes. Look. Look and live. Look and live. It's not in your human looking or believing that saves you, but the object of your looking, God in Jesus Christ. He saves. You know, the prophet Isaiah said that the Messiah would be like one 
from whom people turn their faces away. Like the homeless man sitting outside Tesco that we walk by and we intentionally try not to make eye contact with. All of us have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. You don't want to look to Jesus. You want to look to yourself and your own will for your life. You don't want a suffering, crucified, and exalted king. You want a healthy, applaudable, and safer you. That's why Jesus says in verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. See, Jesus has come into the world, but we have rejected him. Because when we come to him, our own evil heart is exposed. Friends, don't miss this. Jesus says, this is how God loved the world, that he gave the one who makes it possible to be washed of that thing that you were ashamed of and to be made right with him, to be born again. You know, for those of you who are listening to me right now, either here or maybe on the live stream, and you've never entrusted your life to Christ before, All I have to say, I've already said it, is look, he's lifted up in front of you here in this text. Look to him. Believe in his name. That doesn't just mean that you acknowledge he exists. I mean, even the demons believe that. Instead, it means that you entrust that he is the only one who can rescue you from your separation from God and the just condemnation that you deserve. And you tell him that. You say, Lord, I trust that what you have done, Jesus, what you have done on the cross to take away my sin, and I believe you rose from the dead and can give me that true life that you promised, and he will. You can do that right now. If you want after the service, I would love to talk to you more about that. And then, for those of you who are believers in Jesus, you have experienced this new birth, well, I have a question for you. Are you still looking to Jesus? Are you still looking to Jesus as your Savior, as your King, the lifted up one? Or have you traded Him for lesser Saviors, lesser Kings? What this teaches us tonight, brothers and sisters, is that we have to center our life on Jesus, how we treat our family, how we treat our work, our finances. We, we center on Jesus because we are looking to him in all of life. And we center even our evangelism as we see him doing here. How we speak about the Christian life. It's not about your favorite political position or even about a certain behavior. Even if it is a biblical behavior, the first and most important thing is someone receive Jesus so that they could be born again and then have that new heart that desires God. Friends, we have to center on 
Jesus, because he is the only one who makes this possible. So tonight we've learned that from Jesus, the great evangelist, that the new birth is necessary for every person, regardless who you are. The new birth is God's work by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And it is possible only through Jesus, the one lifted up for the salvation of all who believe. You know, sometimes songs are more effective than preaching. And um, I think one of the verses from the song we sang just before this really helps to bring this to bear in our hearts. You can sing it with me if you remember it. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, gave me endless hope and peace. Amen. Let's pray.